Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We're so glad you joined us this time. I am excited to introduce to you, for those who don't know, Matt Pryor. Uh, Matt is a singer-songwriter. Um, he has a very long career with several different bands and a solo career. And so uh, I am super uh, excited and privileged to uh, have Matt. Matt, welcome to Spirituality Adventures. Uh, thank you. Uh, nice to be here. Thank you for having me. You bet. Um, tell us. Spirituality is an adventure. I guess that makes sense, but it sounds like, like, you know, religious rock climbing or something like that, like a spiritual adventures. It's an interesting way to think of it. Yeah. I, in fact, I am a rock climber. Uh, well, there you I, go. I, I've been rock climbing since I was like 16 and I, I'm a mountain biker and I do. So I, I kind of love adventure nature kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then I love spirituality of all types. And so I thought, you know, it's kind of an adventure to explore spirituality and, and all the different types and shapes and forms of spirituality that are out there. So, and, so I just thought I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. But anyway, thank you for having me. You bet. You bet. Well, give us a little bit of your, uh, where you're from, where you grew up, that kind of stuff. And a little bit of your background. Uh, I grew up in Kansas city, Missouri. Uh, I was born at St. Luke's. I attended uh, St. Peter's Elementary School and Bishop Miege for high school with a few different uh, forays into public school and art school. And then uh, been playing in bands since I was 15 and, you know, started the Get Up Kids in 1995 and just started touring the world after that. And then, uh, after about five years of that, I started doing stuff on my own, um, more like singer songwriter kind of stuff. And then that evolved into when my kids were born, I did a couple of children's music records and yeah. And that, you know, leads us to now me being holed up in my garage during a pandemic, uh, <laughs> talking on a religious, pro on a religious podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Semi-religious, right? We try not to be religious. We try to be spiritual, but not religious. How's that? That's fine. That's work. Call it, call it whatever you want. <laughs> well, hey, um, you're so you grew up in like a Catholic home. Then it sounds like you were sent to Catholic schools. Is yeah, right? I went to Catholic. I went to Catholic school. My mom's still a practicing Catholic. Uh, my dad's never really been much of anything. Um, and but yeah, my brother and I went to Catholic school for most of our childhood. Was that a positive experience? No, not at all. It was hell. <laughs> uh, some friends of my, two of the other guys in my band just went to their 25th high school reunion. Yeah. And it was at Olathe South. Okay. And they apparently had a really good time, but it kind of came up of like, 
the only way I would ever go back to my high school would be to plant a bomb, (laughs) 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 which is kind of macabre, but it's, uh, I, I did not have a positive experience there. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think of that, uh, death cab for cutie song sometimes about, um, the, the nuns who, uh, well, we were using we the rulers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was more, I mean, we're post Vatican too. So that's like more my mom's generation, but we, we had some, it was more just rampant homophobia that was like, and you know, I'm not queer, but like, it was just sort of, uh, that kind of like super jockey, homophobic meathead sort of, you know, I don't know, just very bigoted and misogynist and homophobic. And it was just being a young weirdo, you know, into punk rock. I've been writing a lot of these things down lately. I don't know what I'm going to do with these stories, but the thing that saved me in high school is that my one friend was a budding sociopath (laughs) and everyone was afraid of him. So they, they didn't, uh, they didn't mess with me as much once he and I started hanging out because they were worried he was going to like shiv them with a knife in his boot. Holy crud. Wow. Um, so your mute, how did you get into music? Where did you have come from a musical family or when did you? Well, my dad played the accordion. <laughs> that was when he was in grade school, high school. But no, not really. I mean, my folks like music and they, they listen to music around the house. But I um, was a young metalhead in uh, grade school and in early high school, getting into like Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and that kind of stuff. And uh, from that and becoming, you know, kind of obsessed with that world um, leads me to like thrash, which leads me to like Metallica, which then leads me to punk, which like the Misfits and stuff. And then that leads me into like a whole nother world of, of underground music that uh, has nothing to do with metal. But um, that was the jumping off point for me. That hmm. was my gateway drug. What was a guitar your first instrument? Actually, drums were my first instrument. Um, but then I quickly learned that you, it's hard to write songs on the drums. Yeah, so. I wouldn't know. I I'm I'm only, I'm strictly a fan. Like I can't sing on tune. I can't play anything. But I I love music. So, and I've always hung around musicians a lot for some reason. I know why, because I love it. But anyway, um, so uh, what were like, how, what took you into the punk scene? Just who would you listen to at first? And uh, I mean, so it's like Misfits, Bad Religion, and then getting into like DC hardcore, like Minor Threat and into Fugazi and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, you know, uh, that kind of like, black flag Minutemen sort of work ethic the descendants were a really big part of my um young listening experience but then also like i met my wife when we were in high school and she was really into like the cure specifically but like kind of like gothy alternative stuff of like the late 80s and 90s and so listened to a lot of that and and somewhere along the line i got into the pixies and pixies are one of my all-time favorite bands hmm yeah fun fun stuff so uh you put your first band together like did you record with that 
first band? Was that the decoder ring? No, the first band, band I was in was called Take a Joke. <clears throat> and I played drums and guitar. Uh, the guitar. Guitarist and I would switch back and forth between drums and guitar, and we put out a cassette that was called "Bicycles for Afghanistan," which is a Kurt Vonnegut reference. And uh, it was just, I don't know, weird proto, you know, post-punk kind of. I mean, I, I don't even know how to explain it. It was just a bunch of guys who didn't know how to play their instruments very well. And then uh, I got into uh, kind of a noise rock like avant-garde band that was called a, a secular theme actually. And we all wore suits like we were in reservoir dogs and made a lot of noise. And I used the guitar more as like a, a weapon of torture rather than a, than a, you know, an, something to write melodies on, but it was a fun, like energetic live band. And then I started getting more into like pop punk and that's where, uh, Secret Decodering came around, and that's when I first started playing with Jim, uh, who's the guitar player in the Get Up Kids, the other guitar player in the Get Up Kids. And then when that band sort of split, he and I wanted to start something that wasn't quite so pop punk, and we recruited Rob, our bass player, who's been friends with Jim since kindergarten. And then we had Nathan, who was Jim's friend from art school. And then Nathan didn't work out, so we hired Rob's brother, Ryan, to play drums. Um, and then we recorded our first record in 1997. Yeah. So I'll just mention it. Some, some people listening might know Nathan Shea and, uh, he, he played drums at the church that I started called Vineyard Church. And, and he is a friend of mine to this day. Um, we really connected around uh, bicycle stuff. I got him started on riding a bike and then he started getting competitive and, and, uh, came a good bike rider but yeah nate said nate said to say hey and uh and i got you know i i got my education you know he, we talked quite a bit about his early days there in the in the get up kids and art school and i guess you guys when you decided to tour he was not into that he was going to do an internship uh with a sculptor i think and we were dead set on on going on tour and so it just wasn't, we were at different places in life, had different priorities. And so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so the get up kids, uh, man, quite a, quite a history there with the get up kids. You guys have been, uh, for some of the audience that doesn't know the get up kids, which there might be, uh, there certainly, my dad listens, he's 86. So, uh, he won't <laughs> know the, <laughs> he won't know the get up kids, but, um, uh, this is a, as a, what, how would you describe it? A pop, pop punk band. What does your dad listen to? You know, I grew up listening to Johnny Cash okay, and the Statler brothers got it and, uh, gospel quartet stuff. Okay. How do you guys feel about George Jones? So I, I know of George Jones. I haven't okay. listened to a ton of his music, but uh, he's considered pretty classic country for sure. I, right? I'm beginning really interested going back a while now with like the history of country music. And I'm finding more and more, um, there's this really great podcast I like called cocaine and rhinestones. It's about the history of 20th century country music. And I'm really starting to find, a lot of parallels uh, between 
the scene that we came up in and uh, the way country music of that, I, I specifically of like the 60s is where I'm thinking of just where it's like, you're doing something that's really, really emotionally raw and something that's really, really sincere. And it does have an audience, but it never gets mainstream success. Mm-hmm. And that is very similar to what our trajectory was, is that we did something that was really, you know, uh, just very, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it was very genuine and it was very, uh, truthful and, you know, it spoke to a lot of people in this, in that same sort of way, but it just, ne- we were never on the radio. We were never in magazines. We were never on the charts or anything like that. But it, I mean, for, for your world, it was pretty, you, you guys had a big audience that mm-hmm. was out there. Um, you, you started touring in what, 95 or 96, 97, actually we, we formed in 95, put out the seven, uh, the 45 that we did with Nathan in 96. And then our first record in 97, 97, your album, something to write home about came out in 99. Mm-hmm. And that one you toured not only in America, but, but in other countries as well. Is that right? Yeah, on that run, we went to Japan for the first time, Australia for the first time, uh, Europe for like, we went to Europe a lot. Um, we go to Europe a lot. We're going next summer. Uh, you know, and then that's kind of expanded even more. Uh, like we played in Malaysia a couple of times. We've gone to South America, um, you know, yeah. Mexico. So. Yeah, man, you've been you've been around the world with this stuff. It's that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Love that, James Deweese. You met you. Got, how did you guys connect? He was in another local band that was like a, a kind of hardcore uh, math. I don't know how to explain it. They're called Coalesce, and he was their drummer. <clears throat> and we, we just kind of started hanging out together. And then he started living with Rob and Ryan, our drummer and bass mm-hmm. player. And he was just around the house all the time playing piano. And it turns out he's this savant of a piano player. And we wanted to add keyboards after our first record because we were of the stuff we were listening to. And so we're just like, well, why don't you just do it? And then he was in the band for 20 years. All right. And then he's not in the band anymore, though. Okay. But you you have done uh, a project or two with him as well. Is that right? Kind of. Not with yeah, the get he, up kids, but he wrote, he does this thing called Reggie and the full effect, which is kind of a one man, um, thing like a, it's a one man band kind of that I've sang on and played bass on, um, uh, uh, yeah. Singing harmonies and stuff like that. Okay. And he has, um, who is he playing with now? I don't know. You've lost touch with him. Yeah. Okay. I, I was noticing he'd played with a bunch of different bands that I, you know, that like my chemical romance and I don't know what else, but pretty big, pretty big, uh, well, history when you're, him. when you're a keyboard player who can learn an entire record in an hour, you know, you're a hot commodity. Wow. That's a gift. Yeah. That's a He's gift. A very, very talented person. That's amazing. So, um, you, when you were touring in, uh, 
in Australia with with uh, the Get Up Kids. You guys had come out with the Guilt Show, your fourth album. Mm-hmm. And uh, was that did was that a time in your life when you'd started your family, like your your kids were you had your first kid at home and yeah, my, my daughter was two years old and my, my oldest son was about three months away from being born. And I was in a really dark headspace about leaving and I didn't want to tour. I needed, a, I needed a break just to like be, be at home. And, uh, ultimately uh, same sort of deal with Nathan it's like, that's not what everybody else wanted, but it was, uh, it was, you know, killing me. So I just said, well, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this. And then that's when the band broke up and then, I mean, we only, we only broke up for three years. So it's kind of like, well, if we had just taken a year off, <clears throat> probably could have avoided that, but man, I hear, I'm gonna turn this air conditioner off. Cause it keeps like cycling back on. Hold on. All right. I can hear the difference in the audio. <laughs> yeah, I can't hear it on this end, but all now right. it does feel like 105 outside. So if I get too hot, I may have oh, to turn gosh. it. Oh gosh, that's crazy! I rode my bike Saturday, Sunday, and it just uh, ugh, it's just like yeah. riding in a warm, wet blanket, breathing uh-huh. underwater or something like that. Welcome to Missouri in the summer, right? Ugh. And Kansas. And Kansas, yeah. You're in Lawrence. How long mm-hmm. have you lived in Lawrence? 20 years, 21 years. Oh, wow. Long history. Um, so you you took a break, and is that when you started the new Amsterdams? No, I started the new Amsterdams in 2000. The f- that first record came out in 2000, and that was because I wanted to do different stuff than what Get Up Kids were doing. I had gotten more... I was moving in my own taste kind of further away from like, um, you know, like punk and indie rock and, and, and what that scene was becoming and more into like singer songwriters, um, like Steve Earle and, and, uh, Richard Buckner. And I wanted to try that just to see if I could do something that wasn't so dependent on being incredibly loud. <laughs> and so that's when I started New Amsterdam. And you have you toured? You've you've done a, several albums with them, right? Mm-hmm. And toured with them as well. Mm-hmm. And is that was that a three man band or? It was a rotating cast, um, up to you know five when we had a, a pedal steel player. Um, but it, it was primarily it ended up being you know, it, it 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 was scalable. <laughs> you know okay. anything from, from just me to a trio to we did one show here in Lawrence that was like you know we have a string section and a grand piano and a horn section and and you know the whole nine oh, so. yeah I I I like uh you know I love your solo career stuff um thank you I and I focus mostly on your on your more recent stuff with them, but kind of want to still do it just a little bit of your history. Um, you, after, at some point you did a couple of children's albums, which I found mm-hmm. interesting. Um, the terrible twos. 
and was it two full albums that you did? Mm-hmm. Two full, uh, the yeah, terrible Jersey, twos and what, what's Jersey the other one? The Giant was one record. And if you ever see an owl was another record. Okay. Yeah. So played, played a handful of shows with terrible twos. We played the kids stage at Lollapalooza one year. Oh, nice. That was weird. So the, for the parents out there listening, yeah, check that out for your kids. Um, yeah, it does. It doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk a little, you, so you guys reunited as the get up kids did a reunion tour for the something to write home about. And then you've done four, at least four more albums since then with the get up kids. Is that right? Two EPs and two full lines. Okay. Since we got back together. But okay. we've actually been, uh, we've been reunited now longer than we were together in the first place. Okay. So we celebrated our 25th anniversary last year, kind of just taking the, the three years we were broken up, counting it as a, as a, <clears throat> as a hiatus, even though we didn't think it was at the time. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the the last album problems is one I've I was able to listen to and really love the theme there. Um, it's a, we're really proud of it. Yeah, I thought uh, so. I've I've been through quite a bit of therapy here in my life over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things that I for me mental health is is kind of a kind of related to a spiritual journey in terms of like when I think about spirituality I think about connection to self connection to others Mm -hmm. and connection to something greater than than all of us maybe whatever whatever that might be and so uh I I don't know I think the the mental health journey when we're trying to learn more about ourselves more about how to connect with others is is a spiritual journey for me it has been anyway I could see that. So, um, in your problems, uh, album with the get up kids, I, I just noticed a lot of places in the writing there were, there's a whole lot of reflection going on. Yeah. I mean, there, there's always been a lot of reflection in our lyrics. Uh, this one in particular though is, is coming from a place of, uh, being reflective in your forties and having a lot more like knowledge of what works for you and what doesn't work for you and what your, you know, uh, limitations are. And, you know, cause I, you know, I've been in therapy a bunch. I do a lot of meditation. I don't know that I would call myself a spiritual person just because it's hard for me to separate that from my, trauma of my Catholic upbringing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. And, uh, yeah. The, but I, I understand, I understand. I, I find something similar to that in a lot of things outside of any kind of like higher power, um, like in music and in, in my kids and in gardening and cooking and, um, and in podcasting, actually, I find it quite a lot in that. Uh, but yeah, it makes sense to me that, you know, yeah. What, like, um, what, so what is that like when you say you've found a lot of that in podcasting, what, what does that describe that for me? Um, it's a medium 
where you can you can be completely honest and you can also just be off the cuff and i think that encourages people to kind of forget that they're in a public uh medium and they they just become much more um open and you it's it seems to be a medium where it's kind of going back to i think maybe um uh mark maron maybe set the tone for it of just like trying to get people to like talk about uh the difficulties of things and and the and you know mental health i think is a really 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 big thing that i grew up you know having that being like something that you suppress and uh i really think that that's really suffocating and really damaging to people and so i try to be an advocate for um acknowledging that we all have problems you know and we all need to take take care of ourselves and sometimes that just means putting up a boundary you know Mm -hmm. but so yeah i i try i try to be i try to be as to talk about mental health as often as possible because i think it's also one of those things where as a musician you're not supposed to complain about your job because everybody just goes like oh you just get paid you know money for nothing and the chicks for free is <laughs> like it's not really like that you know um it, it's 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 a it really you know the only aspect of that that is sort of like big and bombastic is that is the hour you're on stage but then the other 364 days and 24 23 hours you're kind of alone a lot of the time and so um yeah, it's a it's a bit of a roller coaster. I think one of your songs reflected on that aloneness. Um, I'm I, I'm trying to remember the, but uh, when you're alone, you know, you your perspective gets a little skewed sometimes when you're isolated. I guess isolation, mm-hmm. I think, can play negatively what? into our mental health. You know. Yeah, I I I do agree with that. Hang on. <coughs> Me personally, I, I have a f- this like huge fear of abandonment. And so I'm actually actively working now to be more comfortable being alone, mm-hmm. like in a healthy way, like not in a like, right. not in a hermit, hermit living in the woods kind of way, but just like, um, I think that's something where I take solace in podcasts too, because it is sort of like that in like books on tape, you know, it's just like sort of like keeping me company when I don't have anybody to talk to. Yeah. Um, I'm curious what your meditation practices are. Do you mind sharing along those no, lines? It's nothing, it's nothing crazy. I just use the, the headspace app and I, I, uh, you know, try to do at least 10 to 20 minutes a day of just like, and, and then it, during stressful times, um, you know, maybe more than once a day, if I, I know that if I'm getting keyed up that I need to like, like if I can feel myself getting some sort of manic, I don't know that I get that far, but, um, or if I feel myself getting really, really angry, then I'll go and do 10 minutes and, you know, mm-hmm. bring myself back down. Yeah. Which is something I, I suffer from anxiety and most, and more recently depression, but I don't know how much of it was pandemic related the depression part, the anxiety I've had my whole life and didn't know what it was until one of my kids 
had kind of a, an, an issue with that in high school, middle school. And they were explaining to me how they were feeling. And I was like, that's just normal. And they were like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's anxiety. And yeah, I've, yeah. So I, I think that's what was my, you know, I have a racing brain, you know, and my, I can't, I have a hard time shutting my brain down and meditation is good for that too. Exactly. Uh, this, and a part of my insomnia problem, I think was anxiety. You know, I think I just had this general anxiety disorder that I'd had since a kid. Like my parents would take me out when I was a little kid and I'd get so nervous I couldn't eat because I was in a public place and stuff like that. And, uh, so, I've had to go back and rethink my relationship to anxiety and how that affected me and my insomnia that was so that got me into trouble with the Xanax and alcohol stuff. And uh, so while I was in rehab, I was introduced to um, a meditation style that came more out of the Buddhist tradition. Mm. And um, it, it's been incorporated into a couple of different therapy models um, like uh, um Oh gosh, the uh, DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy and CBT and ACT. You know, there's a bunch of different therapies now that have incorporated some of that. I got introduced to that style of meditation. So when I got out, I connected with, there's a mindfulness uh, meditation group in Kansas or in the Kansas City area. It's called Midwest Mindfulness Alliance. And uh, Yeah. yeah, so I go to a group. Uh, and I actually did an interview with one of the teachers from that group, uh, on my podcast. And, but what I found is that it, you know, learning to do a, like focus on my breathing, do a body scan, Mm -hmm. actually pay attention to what my feelings and thoughts are and what's coming up. And, and then, and then to use that, that body scan, the breathing to, like to just explore creatively and openly what's going on and why my mind is racing and what I'm thinking about, what I'm afraid of, what, I, you know, what's fear, what's this, what, you know, all these negative emotions I used to just suppress, try mm-hmm. to actually listen to them, hear what's going on. Anyway, that's been actually really helpful for me. Um, is that, so I try to do that every morning and, and I feel terrible at it. Like I suck at it, you know, but that's uh, part of the process, <laughs> you know, like that's, I used to do yoga a lot um, and it was always this thing of like how you, and I think that mental health and meditation are the same way where it's just like, you never finish it. Like you never go, I finished yoga. I am now, I've completed all my coursework for yoga. It's like, no, it's a, it's a maintenance thing. Um, You know, and the same thing with like meditation. It's just like, you know, it's not like, you take your pill and your headache goes away. It's like, this is just an, it's an ongoing thing, which I think is something that I think people are more open to when they get older, but that's just, I guess maybe that's just um, the experiences that I've seen, you know? Yeah. I definitely, I definitely become an advocate of things that I feel are, are healthy and holistic and, you know, And so many of these issues, like when I, when I grew up, we just didn't talk about it. Same. Yeah. Um, You you didn't want to admit that you needed a therapist or, you know, 
Like I didn't go to my first psychiatrist till I was 55. <laughs> oh, see, I, I had to, when my parents, my parents got divorced, I had to go to one when I was a kid and I was just like, fuck this. <laughs> you know, just like I was in sixth grade. It was just like, no way. I'm not talking to you. Um, and, oh, I had a point. What was I going to say? Uh, oh, about, so yeah, we don't, we don't talk about mental health as much as we should. And like, so like, I only recently am, am learning some of the secrets of my family's history and my family's mental health history that was just never talked about to the point of where it's just like, you know, uh, there's a history of bipolar in my family that I didn't know about until someone got arrested on a manic episode and got a diagnosis. And they're like, Oh yeah, your grandfather tried to hang himself in a mental institution. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? Like this would be good to know before I start having children, you know, like, like uh, be on the lookout for, you know, this, this, and this, you know, isn't that crazy though? But you know, it's, it, it's, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And it's just like, like we're, we're all imperfect vessels. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like, it's just best to be like, you know, to support people and to like help them be the best that they, they can be not to just, you know, have one mold of person that you're trying to like force everybody into that, that particular. Yeah. I, you know, even the, people who are, even the people who are quote unquote perfect are fucked in the head too. I, I agree. Sorry. I'm swearing. So I much. tried to be one of those people and it didn't work. Yeah. I kind of blew up. Yeah. Well, you know, I think there's, you know, like the, my gener the generation of my dad and then my generation grew up, you know, you just, if you had a, an emotional problem. You didn't want to talk about it. You didn't want to admit it. You wanted to hide mm -hmm. it. And then the hiding is not good. And so, yeah, I think, I think we're on a whole new phase of, of well, and helping even, people be healthy because we can talk about it. Yeah. It's, it's still, it's still a tricky thing for like our, my kids generation is definitely totally comfortable talking about mental health. I think there's still some hangups with even just my generation, like to the point where it's just even been like, you know, it's almost like having to just be like, I'm, you know, cause when you're in a band and you're in a situation, whether it's a show or, or whatever, you kind of have to be on the same page. And sometimes when you're not in the same place as everybody else is mentally, it's hard to like be part of that group and I have to sometimes be like, look, I, I am here for work, but I need to go here in the corner and be by myself until it's time for us to go to work. And then I will be a hundred percent with you. But like, I can't go out day drinking with you all day and then be expected to sing, <laughs> you know, like, it's just like, uh, so I, I need, you know, to have my own space for my own mental health. Yeah. So, um, I, I was, I heard, you know, that one of your kids is in a band as well. Is that right? Yes. And what's that like? You, you having this long history with bands, road practice, band life. Um, it's, it's cool. I'm very, I'm very proud of them. Uh, 
they they are very and I I completely admire this and understand it are very adamant about forging their own path with it and and doing it like they don't want any handouts from from me or from any you know like I give them advice and but they don't they they very much want to like do their own thing and not just be like you know how old are they uh 19 my kids are 19 17 and 14 okay and are the two oldest in a band together or? the oldest in a band okay what style uh kind of indie punk very like queer positive femme uh you know uh it's it's good it's it's angry young teenage kids uh-huh. playing music so it's exactly what it's supposed to be uh is it uh are they recorded anything they're starting to now okay Do they, have they picked a name yes but i'm i'm not supposed to per the, their request i'm just gonna say that they're a very good punk band there you go well hey once you can say something i'll i'll uh, want to hear about that so well, i think once they're a little bit more established in their own right they'll feel more comfortable with yeah being yeah. kind of public about right well cool like I, they recently like came up with like a stage name so that it's not like so they're they're they want to stay away from any of the any nepotism <laughs> yeah yeah well good stuff um so let's talk a little bit about your solo career um you're, I haven't been able to listen to all of the uh, solo albums that you've done, but the, the I've I listened a lot to uh, Memento. Memento Mori. Yeah, yeah, Memento Mori, and then um, and then just the one you put out last year, uh, the EP you put out last year, Mayday Con- Companion. Mm. So love that style. Um, is your was your earlier solo stuff in a similar? vein like the stuff you uh, did some of it some of it's stripped down like that both of those are pretty stripped down mm-hmm. some of it's a bit more orchestrated uh actually that's not entirely true the 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 solo record i did before mental more i had a band and was more of like a rock record but the other ones have been more more stripped down either just me or minimal instrumentation yeah good stuff I, it's weird because i i i I kind of think of the new Amsterdam's as my solo project as well. So I was just thinking about, cause some new Amsterdam stuff that's pretty heavily orchestrated and, uh, but that's not what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, I was thinking of this stuff that's under Matt, Matt Pryor's your, just your name. Um, yeah. So, uh, Shangri-La, mm. um, I'd like, I'd like for us to maybe, uh, close with, you know, we'll play that song at the end of this podcast or something like that. But uh, we'll, if we can get an audio file on that, but I love the, uh, I love that song. Thanks. It's, it's uh that was actually, so that, that whole EP is all stuff that was uh, written for a record called Mayday that were, didn't, didn't make the cut. Um, even though that one in particular, uh, was one that I especially liked. Um, I think it ultimately didn't make the cut. I don't know. I don't know why. Sometimes you write a song 
and then you wait too long and you forget that you like it as much as you do and you're just kind of sick of it. And I think that may have been the case with that one. So that's why I didn't make it on the record. Okay. Um, give me the, the final refrain where you're talking about the caller of the call and execute the letter of the law. Give me that whole refrain there uh, at the end. I don't even remember. <laughs> Shang, I'm going to give Google my own lyrics. Yeah. Shangri law lyrics. <sighs> lyrics not available. Okay. Come on. Internet. It's about a relationship. Yeah, that's the other thing, too, is it's kind of not, um, it's sort of, uh, if I remember correctly, because the song was written a long time ago, uh, that it, it's sort of a, a, um, what's the word I want to say, kind of a catch-all relationship song. Like, it's it's just, it's not about any, I can't find the lyrics for it. it's not about anything in particular. It's just sort of about two people going on a journey, on a journey. Um, you know, I, I kind of it, it, say there, I won't be late. I won't, I won't be late. Um, I don't think that it's really, I won't be late. You got to find the caller of the call. Uh huh. I think it's just kind of a, a general, uh, kind of like concept of being of searching and it's sort of like not necessarily searching for anything in particular and maybe not even knowing what you're searching for, but kind of wanting to be open, you know? Okay. So I've always been in favor of like, whenever, whenever I have a darkness, whenever I've, I go through periods where I'm like, like, what am I doing? I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I try to remember that it will eventually come to me. I just have to keep my ears open and my mind open. <clears throat> and I guess my heart open to, to um, when something gets presented. And so sometimes what I, what I do is I, I put a lot of balls and, in, in you know, a lot of things in motion in the hopes that one of them will turn into something that then I can then steer my focus into that one thing. And so I think, that song is sort of like just a general idea of, of, um, you know, you're trying to find this mythical place. You're, you're, you're starting this journey. You're, you're in this relationship, you're going on a a voyage and that you have to be open to the universe or whatever to, to kind of like help guide that experience. And so it's pretty vague, (laughs) but it's, uh, it's, it's really about, um, searching, I think. Yeah, that's good. What about the line? Uh, as I say, don't you wait to execute the letter of the law? Is that, that might just rhyme. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that, if that necessarily means. Yeah. That. Well, I just, you know, it's kind of like this couple sets out on a journey, but it, it's kind of like they're bound to, it's bound to not make it. And, but then there's, yeah, this I had that sense line. Of, I had that line and that melody, the two lovers fail, <clears throat> two lovers sail doomed to fail. Mm-hmm. Like I tried using it in a couple of different songs. Um, Cause I was just like, Oh, that's clever. You know, <laughs> that rhymes. Yeah. And uh, that was the one that ended up, ended up in. Yeah. It's, it's, it kind of, I don't know. It caught my attention a little bit. I, 
I had a metaphor that kind of came to my head in my own life about, you know, like my life kind of being a wooden ship and it crashes against the rocks and, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm paddling to try to keep my head above water and not drown. I'm, this is my recent experience. Right. And I'm kind of trying to grab pieces of wood and put it back together again and see if I can, you know, stay afloat. And, uh, well, it's kind of, but I don't know. Anyway, it just, it just, well, you don't, I, I would to like, you know, prolong that metaphor. Like there's a lot of different ways to stay afloat, you know, including just like relaxing your body and allowing yourself to float. You don't necessarily have to rebuild the same ship that already broke, you know, right. in, order, in order to float. Definitely. You could end up on the shore and find a whole new tree and cut it down <laughs> and make a whole new boat. Exactly. Like, and you don't know where it's going to take you, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever, how, whatever keeps you afloat. You're not sure where it's going to go and where it's going to take you and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But you do have to keep listening to what the world is telling you and then also keep moving forward with something. You know yeah, what I mean? I do. It's that, what's that old uh, story about like, you know, someone's on top of a house in a flood and a boat comes along and they're like, Hey, get in the boat. And he's like, no, no, God will save me. And then a helicopter comes along and it's like, get in the helicopter. It's like, Oh no, God will save me. And then, you know, the person drowns and gets to heaven and it's like, why didn't you save me? And he's like, God's like, I sent a boat. I sent a helicopter. Like <laughs> what else do I do? <laughs> yeah. You have to be, you have to be open to like, you know, I think that that's one of the things that was like so difficult for me with, with, uh, I, I, I'll just say Catholic dogma just because that's what my experience is in is that like, it's so rigid, you know, and it's so like, we do this one way and I've gotten into arguments with people who are very religious about like, we're really all trying to get to the same grocery store. There's just like a lot of different streets you can take to that grocery store, you know, but we're all really trying to get there because that's the, the nourishment that we need. And some people really think the only way to go to the grocery store is just one street down the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. I just don't agree with that. Well, it's like, and if you, if you go through any kind of phase of challenging or deconstructing what you were taught, then, yeah. you, then you're going to hell. And, uh, you know, so like you can't question or doubt, you know, like without mortal consequences, right. Or immortal car, <laughs> who knows what kind of, yeah, you know, it, it has al- this, it's almost like it's a really great way to control people right. to make them fear something they don't have any, any power over. Yes. So <laughs> true. We didn't have as much hell in, in Catholic yeah. school. It, it was more like, it, it's just a long trip through purgatory. I don't know. I don't remember. Cause I'm just like, I remember like, like all of my Protestant friends are like, be like, yeah, like scared of going to hell. And I was just kind of like, well, I think hell probably sucks, but I don't remember like, (laughs) you know, like being as like terrified of it. But yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I reread, uh, after I got out of rehab Dante's Inferno Mm -hmm. and it's an, it's an allegory of different levels of hell mm-hmm. and then purgatory and then paradise. And the interesting thing is that it starts off by saying that, you know, midway through my life, I was in a wood 
and it was dark and I lost my way. And those are the opening lines is basically like a midlife crisis mm -hmm. that he then allegorizes. And the last level of hell is betrayal, mm. abandonment, you know, issues, you know, so, so I kind of, cause I went through like a three quarter life crisis and I, I was kind of like, Oh crap, that's me, you know? And that's like, you know, it's kind of like allegories for, for our, the darker parts of my life anyway. That's how I kind of yeah, but it's looked a, at uh, it. But, but yeah, then I don't like the, the threat of, you know, like this eternal nature to it. You know, like in the recovery world, people say, you know, we're not afraid of hell. We've, we've been through it. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, so um, there's the long history of, of uh, 12 step stuff in my family. And so I'm very like well-versed in like uh, recovery uh, language and, and, and practices and stuff. But I did want to say, I do think there is one level of hell that Dante forgot. And it's just one place where someone's trying to, to tune an analog synthesizer. Uh. The whole time, just been going. The worst. Oh well, our musician friends out there will uh, appreciate that. Good stuff. Um, I love. I love the. I <laughs> or, or it's or it's a kindergartner playing a cello. Yeah. <laughs> um gracefully bow before you fall apart. That's another song on your uh, Mayday companion. That's a song. So the whole Mayday thing is, uh, came out in 2012. The record did. And that is along with that same theme of uh, it, it, the whole, the whole record is sort of uh, me breaking up with uh, the music industry. And soon after that record came out, I quit everything and went to go work on a farm. So I, I don't know if you want to call it a midlife crisis or not, but um, so, but basically it was kind of like kind of similar to the same thing of when I quit the band in 2000 and quit the Getta kids in 2004. I've just been like, this is not bringing me joy anymore. And so I'm going to bow out before this destroys me. And that's what that song's about. Yeah. Luck of the liar, luck of a liar. I don't remember what that song is. <laughs> you know, I think, I think it just sounded cool. Worst bet is the luck of a liar. Um, yeah, I got to thinking, yeah, about, you know, even like myself being like, yeah, don't bet on me. I probably, you know, I don't know. Anyway, I think I, if I had, if I had to guess, there's, um, there have been people in my life that have, and it, it never, it's not a sustainable model forever, but who have like kind of failed upward as far as like, whether it's treating people poorly or lying or, you know, cheating or stealing and then, you know, continuing to be successful. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's probably what that is mm. supposed to be referenced to. Right. Right. As opposed to me, who's trying to be a good person and, you know, yeah. <laughs> only get so far success wise. Well, you've you've got a an amazing body of literature uh, of songwriting, and you're obviously uh, it's obviously comes from your heart, or you wouldn't have stuck at it this long, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
What do you, is there something that in, that's in your creative process that you've found uh, works for you? What is what is your creative process? How do you capture songs? And it depends on on the project, I guess. Um, every once in a while, if I am in a mood and I'll just sit down and play guitar and like hum something, and then I'll sing it into my phone and then forget it promptly forget it. And then when it comes time, so like we started writing, uh, we're writing this, well, we're recording it now. We've written this get up kids EP that is going to come out next year, probably. And it was like, okay, we're going to start this EP. And then like, so go back to my phone, listen through things and then go, Oh, that's cool. Like let's expand on that. And then I'll write at least with get up kids. I'll write kind of a, maybe two verses in a chorus and like do an acoustic demo of it and then bring it in knowing full well that that is not what the song's going to sound like um, by the time it's done to the point where people will forget that I initially wrote the song <clears throat> in the first place. <laughs> and it just, uh, because it, it has to, in order for it to be a get a kid song, it has to have what I like to say, everyone has to put their stink on it. And um so I, I tend to come into those situations going like, here is a concept. How do we take this and make it, you know, more unique and more like everybody? Cause I have complete trust in all of their abilities that are different from, from mine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, um, sure. So it is a, is a group effort. Yeah. That, it's a very collaborative. Yeah. Um, and then we go through and we, we like kind of arrange things and we get like a rough outline. And then when it comes time to record stuff, it's like, okay, so let's play this song together so we can make sure that it, it all fits. And then we'll get like a track of the drums and then we'll just mess around with it and like build it and build it and build it. Meanwhile, I've already taken the song home weeks and weeks and weeks and written lyrics and rewritten lyrics and, 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 hummed them to myself and, and recorded them what we call scratch tracks where you just have lyrics there for like a place of reference. And then you go back and do like a final, a final take. Um, so I'm in the point right now where I'm waiting for them to do their, like, I'm not going to do a guitar solo. That's not my job, <laughs> you know, like, but uh, I already know what I'm going to do with the vocals. Cause I've already, you know, written and recorded them mm. when it comes to like my own stuff. I don't, it's, it, uh, it, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying something new that I don't know if I want to talk about. I'm trying a different way of writing. I think I'm going to wait to talk about because I'm not sure if it'll work and, um, I'm trying writing in a different way. Hmm. Yeah. A way more, I'm making it way more complicated for myself <laughs> in the yeah. hopes of something good coming out of it. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, you know, that group creative process is fun. I, my favorite book on that is by Ed Catmull, who was, uh, he's the head of, um, well, uh, the Disney, you know, he took over Disney now, but, um, Mm. the, uh, oh gosh, what am I thinking of Matt? The, um, no, yeah. His book is called creativity Inc, but he's, he's the founder of, Pixar is what I was blanking on Pixar. And so they have a, a really fascinating group creative process. And I 
found that talking to some of the musicians that work in a collaborative eff- effort, there's some parallels and stuff like that. Mm. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, um, man, thanks so much for, uh, jumping on here and, and talking about, uh, your music yeah. and your, uh, your, your history with, uh, mental health. Some, I appreciate that, that that's been a big passion of mine. And I find that musicians, you know, been, you know, move into that with their lyrics like that becomes a part of the way they process and and heal is write it like i journal every every morning and it's part Mm -hmm. of my uh, mental health practice and i and but then music is a one of my mental health practices just listening to music and then i find stuff i love and it it connects with where i'm at emotionally or you know mentally and it does something for me that's healing you know well good so um, yeah, so I found some of those songs in yours, yours that uh, I connected with and listened to and went back again and again. And uh, I appreciate your creativity and your sharing it, putting it out there with the world. You know, you people don't realize that, you know, when you put that out there, it's a risk and there's this risk re- rejection reward kind of dynamic that goes on when we put ourselves out there. So appreciate you doing that. Well, I appreciate you liking it good stuff all right well we're gonna close with uh putting one of your songs on there and thank oh yeah let's plug it mm-hmm. let's plug your anything coming up your websites uh, whatever yeah get up, i mean you can go to the getupkids.com but we're playing a show at lemonade park in kansas city which is uh in the parking lot behind voltaire down in the uh in the stockyard right right by well I'm going to call it Kemper arena. Cause that's what I grew up calling it. Even though I know it's, what is it now? Is it like, yeah, but like, what's the arena called now? Like high V or something yeah. like that. Yeah, okay. I just, I, you know, sandstone still sandstone to me. And Kemper <laughs> arena, still Kemper arena to me. So. Right. Um, no matter what our corporate overlords think. So it's <laughs> down there, it's down there. It's uh, September 17th. Um, this band, the Whiffs, great Kansas City pop, you know, garage rock, power pop band are, are opening. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's outside. Uh, it's, you know, COVID safe. You can order food from Voltaire. It's going to be it's going to be great. Nice. Nice. September 17th. All right. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah. thanks, everybody, for joining in with uh, Spirituality Adventures. We'll see you next time. Tell me the tale Tell me the whole story Spin me the yarn It's been a thousand years When do we sail? When do we pull anchor? And don't be afraid We've only got time to fear Two lovers sail But they're doomed to fail And maybe the water wasn't strong enough And I'll sail along It may not be that long Till we reach the rocky shores of Shangri-La You have a ship You have a strong vessel You have the skill to take
take us anywhere And I got a map It's more like a strong feeling And once we set sail we can go anywhere So two lovers sail but they're doomed to fail Maybe the water wasn't strong enough And I'll sail along It may not be that long Till we reach the rocky shores of Shangri-La I won't be late I've got to find the caller of the call But don't you wait to execute the letter of the law. I won't be late, but I've got to find the caller of the call. But don't you wait to execute the letter of the law. I won't be late, but I've got to find the caller of the call. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com and make a one-time donation, or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.